Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here uh, with a Battleship Pretension uh, supplemental episode while David is in uh, is at Sundance. Uh, I wanted to have somebody on to talk about the Oscars, and not just this year's Oscars, but all Oscars, uh, uh, past, present, and future. So, uh, And we were approached about a, a month ago by a, a, a gentleman who wrote a book that I couldn't get out of my mind. Um, so here we are at the UCLA library. Uh, so you'll, if, if we are speaking in hushed tones, I apologize. Um, hopefully it'll just uh, relax you as you, uh, you know, have your morning commute or whatever. So, okay. <clears throat> so we are here with Ben Zosmer. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. This is very exciting. Uh, and we'll get to why in a moment. Well, you know what? We'll lead with this. Uh, you have a book that is out right now. Uh, it is called Oscar Metrics. Um, and we'll talk about what that is in a minute, although from the title, people might be able to figure it out. Um, but first, let's get to know you. Where are you from? I'm from the Philadelphia area. Okay. Born and raised there. Uh, then went to college. Uh, okay. Went to Harvard for undergrad. Oh. Uh, studied applied math. Okay. Uh, and then about a week after graduation, moved out here to Los Angeles. Okay. That's first off. Uh, I don't know if I've. I don't know if I've ever met anyone that went to Harvard. <laughs> it's. Uh, I'm told it's very impressive uh, uh, to have I, gone to Harvard. Um, uh, I certainly had a had a wonderful four years there. A lot of great <laughs> classmates. So I. Uh, yeah. I. I have nothing but positive things to say about it. And what was the major again? I want to make sure I get it right. It was applied applied math. Applied math. Yes. There. There's the rub right there. <laughs> um, I remember uh, when I was. I went to film school, and so there were some gen eds, but all of them were like. Let's make it easy for the man, for the film people. And so I took applied science. And as I was as I was learning, I was like, "Huh, this is interesting. I feel like this is being dumbed down uh, for me." But I get. I imagine when you are majoring in applied math, uh, it's very complicated. Is it all formulas and stuff? That's the dumbest question I've ever asked. But well, I'm no, you know, it was a really fun major because it was more of a variety than anything else. You got to do a little bit of math, econ, stat, physics, computer science, mm -hmm. and you mix it all together and they let you graduate. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I like that. I like not taking 15, 20 courses in any one subject, but getting sure. to try a little of everything. Yeah. Uh, so when you, how does one arrive at the applied math major? Like what, uh, what was your goal with that? Again, that, that sounds like the, the question of like a disapproving parent. It's <laughs> no, more, it literally all. is my own ignorance. No, I really wanted, uh, something that was mathematical. That was always my favorite subject, but something that let me branch out a little bit more beyond pure math, which okay. is, you asked, is it all formulas? A lot of pure math is. Yeah. Applied math certainly has its fair share, but okay. it also has a lot more real world applications and it won't shock you as someone who sits here loving Oscar math that I'm someone who likes those real world applications. Yeah, and it's and it's it's both exciting and, uh, and maybe even a bit uh, intimidating to think that like so much of life can be boiled down to basic mathematics. Um, uh, I but, think some yes and some no. Okay, we'll talk about right. this more with you. I think there's a lot that math can't answer. Okay, as well. all right. So like love, like the concept oh, of love. Oh, for sure. Okay. No doubt that that's in the can't <laughs> answer category. I'll bet there are some out there that are like, no, we can replicate this. This is well. There's cer certainly you know dating websites and algorithms that attempt to Boy. boil it down, but the reason they're not perfect is that you can't always boil it down exactly. to numbers. Yeah. Um, there. Are t yeah. There are times when. Uh, my wife and I are having a conversation and uh, we're just like, wow, 
how did this work? How did, how did, how did we find <laughs> each other? This seems mathematically impossible. Um, so, okay. So you came out here to Los Angeles to do what? I came out here to work for the Dodgers. The Dodgers. Uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. The only job I've ever had. I oh, got wow. the job straight out of college, and I've okay. been there ever since the 2015 season. Okay. And so, uh, so how old? How old are you? If you don't mind me I'm asking. I'm 27. 27. Yes. Oh, that's young. But uh, <laughs> but that's fine. That's fine. Um, so what? Uh, should I apologize? Or? No, <laughs> I feel like I should be the one apologizing for being so old. Um, so what do you uh, what do you do for the Dodgers? I. Uh, my technical title is manager of baseball analytics, but really what I do, uh, well, for the first four seasons I was there, I was doing the statistics side. So it was mm -hmm. some long-term modeling projects trying to use the baseball data we had to predict various things. Okay. This past season, I transitioned a little bit more into a liaison role, so a bit of a liaison between the folks that are doing the longer-term statistics and the GM who's running the show and the players and the coaches downstairs in the clubhouse. So trying to do my best to communicate between these different groups and provide them with the information they need. All right. Well, this is exciting because we have made it just over five minutes before me, before I have to mention Moneyball, <laughs> um, which is, uh, listeners know, was my favorite movie of 2011. And I've since gone on to, I'd say, read the book. I was listening to it on uh, audiobook. Um, and uh, I adore it. It's such a fascinating concept. I'm not a sports person. To the degree that I am, it's baseball. Um, I, I go watch baseball games. I, I, I'm terribly sorry. I prefer the Angels. But that's just because oh. my that's that was the family I was raised in. Understood. Understood. So, um, <laughs> but, no hard uh, feelings. Okay. All right. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and actually, before uh, – so – did the Dodgers like offer you a job and then you came out here or did you come out here specifically to work for the Dodgers? So I had actually had the chance to intern with the Dodgers oh, okay. the previous summer uh, for a few weeks in 2014. And so then I was able to meet some people there and I was able okay. to get back in touch with them after I was graduating to okay. apply for full time. All right. Were you a, are, are you a sports fan? I would assume oh, for so. Sure. You, you really have to be in the sign. I, yeah. It's the most fun job ever if you love baseball. But sure. I think if you didn't like baseball, it'd be pretty miserable. Does it, you know, doing like film criticism and stuff and now uh, teaching film, there are people that ask me like discussing film, breaking it down in the way that you do. Does it make, does it get you sick of film? And I know some people that the answer is yes. Um, and I'm, I count myself very fortunate. That is not the case for me. Does boiling, does boiling something that you love down to numbers and that, does that make it more or less exciting like the the just the game itself more for, or less for exciting. me more no okay. question that's true with baseball that's true with movies i can easily see the other side there are a lot sure. of movie fans out there and baseball fans out there who say they prefer to not have any of those numbers and that's yeah. okay i know that what i do is not going to be for every single oscar fan or every single baseball fan yeah uh, but for me there's no question that when i get to uncover stories using data i actually enjoy the excitement more okay yeah it's uh in, in the world of, of movies, again, yeah, that's, uh, there are people, relatives, for example, who have said like, <laughs> said like, don't you just want to enjoy yourself? Like, don't you, don't, don't you get tired of overthinking it? And it's like, well, first off, I don't think there's such a thing as overthinking it. <laughs> right. You know, like if you're in, it's, there's, it's just levels of engagement and I'm willing to engage as deeply as possible as you are. And, uh, you've made a career of it, which is exciting. But the question then is, um, so you've been working with the Dodgers for a while and for the foreseeable future. Yes. Uh, how did you, but, but you're also, it sounds as though you are also a movie fan. Yes, very okay. much. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
Uh, well, we'll get to your favorite movies in a, in, in a minute. Um, several minutes. It'll be towards the end. Um, <clears throat> so how did you bring all of these things together? How did you take like the concept of analytics in baseball where, you know, st- stats, like a lot can be boiled down to stats. Again, having seen Moneyball, obviously I know all about this stuff. I'm being facetious. Um, but how did no, I will you- say, I think that movie did a relatively good job. People always complain, not mm-hmm. to sidetrack us. That's People fine. always complain, I think, when their industry is covered by Hollywood that, oh, it was so inaccurate. It was so, given that they had to make it dramatic, they had to fit it into yeah. two hours. It was a reasonably good portrayal of what we do. It's something, you know, it's it's it, it's odd that you mentioned that. And uh, by the way, you're not familiar with the show. Uh, we love sidetracks. <laughs> Great, it's perfectly fine. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, there's been, I don't know if you've, if you've seen this, there's been, there's a series on YouTube where they will bring in a professional to comment on depictions of their profession oh, I love in, that. in film. It's interesting. And also I appreciate when the professional says like what you said, which is like, is like, Hey, I understand, you know, they got to make this dramatic. If they were to do this for real, it would be much, much more boring, <laughs> right. that sort of thing. But then there are some that just like scoff at Hollywood because they got it so wrong. It's like, it's, it's a different thing. It's, it's a different right. animal. You know, you do need to make it dramatic and cinematic specifically, um, or comedic. Um, right. but, uh, but yeah, so like anytime they talk to someone who's like a, a bank robber or a jewel thief or something <laughs> right. like that, and they're like, oh, this movie is really sensationalized. Like, yeah. Cause That's it's a movie yeah. outside of the films of like Jean-Pierre Melville, who is all about silence. Uh, yeah, it's, for American audiences, it's got to be upbeat right. with a hip jazz soundtrack. You do wonder how divorce attorneys feel about Marriage Story. You know, that's their money ball. Boy, <laughs> so. I just saw Marriage Story. And uh, the thing that I really come away from is uh, it's like, I think this there, there, there are a lot of movies about marriage. I think this one really breaks it down in such a way that you're like, this is a racket. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you see that these two lawyers that are about to like go at each other, know each other socially and like, hey, come right. to this function. You're like. Huh. I feel like they're in this together somehow. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so yeah. Um, so how do you, how do you, uh, how did you get to a point where knowing about baseball, knowing about those statistics and those, you know, formulas and algorithms, at what point did you think like, I think this can apply to something else, something like the Oscars? So it's funny because with these two passions of mine that I use math for with Mm -hmm. baseball and the Oscars, I arrived to them in such different ways because baseball was a relatively well-trodden path. You know, Moneyball Mm -hmm. uh, came out when I was, I believe, 11 years old. Uh, And so I listened to it as well on an Mm -hmm. audiobook at the time. Uh, And so it was something that the basic groundwork had already been established. The Oscars was the complete opposite. Uh, And so it wasn't until my freshman year of college where I was just sitting around one evening and kind of idly wondering who was going to win that year's Oscars, as I often did. And it occurred to me as someone who avidly followed mathematical sports prediction, but who also Mm. followed uh, mathematical political predictions, because this was within a year of the 2012 election, Mm. uh, that surely someone's done this for the Oscars. And you start Googling and looking for, has someone put up predictions in 20 categories or anything? And I couldn't find it. Uh, and so being uh, a math guy, being a movie guy, I decided to spend a month and gather a ton of data and do it myself. And that's where this all got started. 
It is. Uh, so here's where we're going to get in the weeds because I love the Oscars and I love the Oscar statistics for lack of a better term. Um, so much so again, to bring it back to sports and movies, specifically awards, um, years ago, I would look at my friends who would be part of like a fantasy football league. And I thought there's gotta be a way to do this with movies. There has to be. And so I was trying to think like, how can you make that work? It's like the Oscars, I guess. But I mean, that's, you know, that's not a whole season. And then finally, uh, some friends of, of mine, like we all got together and we all worked it out that like, no, you can't think of one movie. You got to think of categories uh, and you can't think of the Oscars. You have to think of critics awards, golden globes, right. all that kind of thing. So for the last uh, seven, yeah, last seven years, we've had our fantasy awards draft. Um, That's so fun. And uh, we put money in 20 bucks each. Uh, I'm currently winning mine. Nice. Nice. Um, because it was a risk early on because we do our draft in October. It was a risk oh. going in for 2017, the way uh, 1917, the way I did. Right. No one's seen it at that point. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, so I had it for picture director cinematography, which is getting me a lot wow, and, yeah. and editing, which was a risk, but it's gotten me some points. And so, uh, and there are so many websites like gold derby and awards circuit and awards daily and that sort of thing that right. keeps track of this stuff and keeps track of predictions. Um, but I think a lot of it, it's something that I started to, I, I remember all the way back in 1999, uh, my friends and I, my friends would come over and we'd watch the Oscars and everyone would pick what they wanted to sure, win a classic. and everyone would throw 50 cents in per category. <laughs> and then whoever got that cat category got the pot. And I remember Michael Caine won supporting actor for Cider House Rules. And I was the yep. only one that bet on him <laughs> and all my friends were like, what? How did you know that? It's like, because it's Michael Caine. <laughs> and right. they're not going to give it to Haley Joel Osment. They're not going to give it to Michael Clark Duncan. Like, they might give it to Tom Cruise because it's a lead actor doing a supporting role. Right. But the idea, it's like, he he's the respected guy. And he won for Hannah and her sisters. But it's been that's it's been a while. So I found myself thinking, like, that might that may not might not be the same as like a formula, but it, but it's, it, it same takes idea, yeah. same concept for sure. Yeah. So how tell now we don't want to, we don't want you to reveal too much because obviously people need to buy the book. <laughs> um, but, uh, how did you even go about starting this process? So it's all about trying to predict who's going to win. Exactly. Okay. So the basic principle behind these predictions is very similar to what you're describing, which is I gather uh, a bunch of data on all of the previous year's nominees. So from the last 20 or so years of the Oscars, getting not just which categories they were nominated in, but anything else I can put a number on, whether it's a Rotten Tomatoes score, a box office number, or total nominations, or most importantly, the other award shows. Mm -hmm. So I have all of this data on every nominee in every category. And that allows me to see which predictors, which award shows, for instance, right. have done a better job than others of yeah. predicting that category. Yeah. Uh, then there are statistical formulas that let you put weights on different things. Yeah. So if you've done a better job in that category, you get more weight. Mm -hmm. Then you take this year's nominees and you apply those weights based on, you know, 1917 won the Producers Guild yeah. and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood won the Critics' Choice Awards and yeah. so forth. And that gives me probabilities for every nominee in every category. Mm -hmm. That's the gist of it. So I was uh, the first thing I was curious about when when you emailed me was there's now a slight. I mean, I guess it's still coming down to what wins and what doesn't, and those are just like the raw numbers. But 
thinking in, in terms of like a person's career, I was like, oh, they've been nominated a million times and has and they've never won. They're getting older. Maybe this is when they're going, going to win. But in the last few years, there's now a new element, which I would say is the social element. For you know, sure. Like after, you know, like after uh, the Oscars So White campaign in 2015, suddenly Moonlight wins Best Picture and no one predicted that even right up until the moment uh, La La Land was announced right. <laughs> and then this whole other thing happened. Same with Mahershala Ali winning Best Supporting Actor twice in three years. Um, so is that, does that play a role? Like just the idea of like social and political pressure and like changing, or is that just like, that just impacts the raw numbers and then as far as like other uh, award ceremonies and that sort of thing? Right, so there's really two ways that the, uh, the non-mathematical factors can affect the math that I do. Uh, one of which is you have some non-mathematical factor, whether it's social or political, emotional, mm -hmm. uh, breaking news, whatever it may be, uh, that affects both the precursor awards and the uh, the Oscars themselves. So mm -hmm. maybe Roger Deakins winning cinematography after sure. so many losses. That's a good example of one that, yes, it was something emotional and political and you can't capture uh, that mathematically, but it affected the data that I use and it also affected the Oscars and so the prediction still was correct. Mm -hmm. There are other times where something might only affect the Oscars but not the precursors. A really good example of this, uh, 2018 uh, was my best year. I got 20 out of 21. The, oh. one, the one that didn't go right uh, was best documentary. Uh, so Icarus was the winner that sure. year. And during the precursor awards, which tend to be pretty early for the documentary category, yeah. uh, a number of uh, a number of winners, other than Icarus, were coming up and moving the math away from Icarus. Yeah. Then the Winter Olympics take place. All the attention is back on Russian doping. That comes a little after the precursors, a little before the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, and it's very possible, we don't know without them releasing votes, but it's very possible that that helped just barely push Icarus over the yeah. edge. Uh, so sometimes these sort of non-mathematical factors yeah. actually help the math get it right, and sometimes they move the math in the other direction. And I assume box office it plays a role as well. Surprisingly small. I talk okay. about this in the book. There is a slight, slight correlation okay. uh, between the box office and a couple of categories. I talk about with best picture, best visual effects. Yeah. Um, but in general, it's one of the weakest predictors. And I guess... The way I think of it is I feel like box office gets you nominations but not wins. Yes, like Joker exactly. would not be the top nomination getter in my opinion if not for its box office. Like, that's, that's completely right. And especially when you look by category. So best mm -hmm. visual effects tends to be these very high sure, box, sure. box office movies. But it's not necessarily the highest of the five nominees right. that goes on to win. Yeah. I mean Ex Machina like surprised right. so many people that, that for year. for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so, tw so 2018, you got 20 out of 21 and that documentary category is tricky. It was sometimes like when hoop dreams isn't even nominated in the nineties, like no, all bets are off. Oh, at that we've point. had that recently with Jane, sure. uh, with the Mr. Rogers documentary where it's something that wins a lot of the precursors and doesn't get nominated. Yeah. Uh, and, or even not just documentary, the Lego movie was a good example of that mm -hmm. and animated uh, that definitely makes it harder to do these yeah. things mathematically. It's part of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I do want to go back to, let's go back to last year. And there was, on one hand, it was a bit of a surprise, but also not. Like, 
a lot of people, by the time the Oscars came around, a lot of people were like, here we go, Glenn Close for right. the wife. It's who I had. She was getting me some points. Olivia Coleman got plenty of critics awards. Right. Uh, and then the Oscar wound up going to her. Um, and, but you, it sounds like you predicted that. This was the year before. Oh, that was the year before. Oh, okay, okay. No, this was, uh, uh, Glenn Close was the favorite mathematically mm-hmm. going in. Yeah. Uh, that was an upset. And Olivia Coleman was in second and she went on to win the Oscar. So. Yeah. So, so now the question is, I don't have the list in front of me, but I'm curious. I, I assume you do these calculations every year. Yes. So this year, Who's going to win? So right now, as we sit here, uh, and there's a little bit more data to come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we sit here, 1917 is slightly out in front, picture and director. Uh, for the acting races, it's not quite, I don't hesitate quite as much because even I if, think it's locked for right. all four categories. Uh, so I, I, I think most listeners are probably familiar with this, but Renee Zellweger and Judy, Joaquin Phoenix and Joker, Laura Dern and Marriage Story, Brad Pitt and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. have really swept through the acting categories, which from a prediction standpoint makes things a little easy, a little boring. And for three of the four of them, a lot of it, you can boil it down. It's like they've been nominated before and they've never won. It's their turn. Right. And then Renee Zellweger has the story. Yes. Which is she was gone for a while, she's back, and she's playing this iconic Hollywood figure and that sort of thing. Yes. It's easy both from the... Uh, traditional Oscar prediction perspective, like yeah. you described, and uh, and to be clear, I don't view what I do as a, a contradiction of that. I love sure, reading sure. all those yeah. um, from both the traditional perspective and the mathematical perspective. There's a really compelling argument for those four to be the favorites. Uh, picture director. Uh, so as we sit here recording, we haven't had the Directors Guild and the right. BAFTAs. Uh, so those uh, might come down to the wire. Yeah, director. This this year, um, I mean, it's looking like it could be. Sam Mendes, but it could just as easily be Bong Joon-ho. Absolutely. Um, and you never know how much how much uh, support Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to get, and Tarantino's never won before and all that. Um, I did want to go back to something that you you said. Um, uh, speaking of, of Moneyball, you know, um, a big part of both the book and the film had to do with it's like, oh, well, these things are the traditional predictors of who's going to be a good ball player. As, and then the concept of numbers and stats like didn't even really come into it. Uh, and often they would be in conflict. And so – and you said that in this case the two aren't necessarily in conflict, but they also don't seem to inform each other very much either. Right. I will say as far as the baseball side of things goes, I think that is one of the things that perhaps maybe they heightened a little for drama. Sure. Or it was maybe different before uh, – Statistics in baseball was as widely accepted. Uh, I know many of the scouts of the Dodgers. We get along great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really the the constant battle that it, yeah. it that it appears to be in the movie. But aside from that, uh, right, it's certainly true that in something like baseball, where the scouts and the analysts are talking with each other, there's more overlap than in something like the Oscars, where almost everyone who predicts these tends to be the more traditional way. There aren't a ton of people out there like myself who are using math and formulas to predict these things, uh, and so. They tend to be mostly separate. There Mm -hmm. is, however, a little bit of influence between the two in the sense that one of the inputs I use are the betting markets. Sure. Uh, And so if you have more traditional predictors influencing the betting markets, which can influence the models that I put out, then there can be some overlap. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's it's something that I I do find. So, uh, okay, well, sorry. We're not going to go through every category, but I'm just curious. I like... Uh, original screenplay. What are you thinking? Like it's a it's a tight race this year. I feel like 
Um, but I still feel not unlike Woody Allen. If Tarantino's nominated for screenplay, he's always a f- he's an okay bet. So right, this one is is tricky uh, because right, my gut says Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is more in front than the math says it is, mm. uh, and the reason being the Writers Guild, yeah. uh, where they you know make Tarantino ineligible, and so he can't win that, yeah. uh, which can definitely mess around a little with how the numbers see yeah. things, um, but. Uh, if he goes on to win the BAFTA, that will be enough to secure yeah. his spot, and so then we would still likely see him out in front. Um, so, do you inc- you incorporate every every single like awards, whether it be industry or critics awards, so going into it? What I will say is that I try to. Okay. So I let the math decide which things go into which category. Okay. Uh, so I gather all the data. This is why year one took so long. You sure. gather all the data, uh, and then you plug it all in, and there are various formulas to tell you which things are more predictive than others and which things you should just throw out entirely. And along those lines, I mean, obviously with the Oscars and various other uh, awards like Golden Globes, they've been around for a while, you know, yes. several decades, in fact. So, like, how far back – you said about 20 years, but, like, is there is it's, there a particular reason why 20 years is sort of the cutoff point as far as how back how so far it, back to it's research? It's a little different by category. Okay. The general rule is that I go back as far as all of the most important predictors go, okay. uh, which sounds a little vague, and the reason being that it's different for each category. Some yeah. categories – uh, the predictors go back very far. Uh, but for instance, with Best Picture, if you're starting to get into years before the mid-90s, you're losing both the Producers Guild, which starts in the late 89, and you're losing the Screen Actors Guild, which starts in 95. Sure. Uh, and you're suddenly getting into years with a lot less data, which becomes less helpful for the model. Uh, there's also an advantage to keeping the data relatively recent because some of these patterns change as right. to which predictors are good and which are not so good. Box office is actually a really good example of this. Mm-hmm. The box office and the Oscars used to be a little bit more in line, yeah. not so much these days. Yeah. Um, has there ever been a situation where, and I know that all of this is relatively recent uh, for you, but has there ever been a situation where your your gut just says one thing or your heart, you could say that, like you want someone to win and you also have good reason to think that they could win, but the numbers go a different direction? Uh, heart all the time. Okay, sure. Uh, that, that's that's routine because yeah. I, I mean, I'm a huge movie fan. I watch every Best Picture nominee every year. I actually mm-hmm. fly home to Philadelphia and we do a marathon together uh, <laughs> with me and my family. Uh, the uh, gut sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, generally I'd say there's, an average of one a year, sometimes zero, sometimes two, where yeah. my gut really strongly feels something else is going to win, even if it's not the mathematical favorite. Yeah. Uh, but that's not my shtick. That's not my gimmick. What I do is I'm I'm biased by hunches, by preferences. I put out what the math says, right. uh, and so be it. Um, is there so of all the the precursors? Is there one that is like the best predictor? If you had to name one, uh, and this comes up in the book as well, uh, if you had to name one, it's the BAFTAs uh, because they do a reasonably good job of a reasonably large number of categories. Now, in specific categories, there are better ones. The Directors Guild for Best Director and Picture is the gold standard, uh, but quite a few of the guilds tend to do a good job in their own guild. The Screen Actors Guild is up there as well. the the question of what is best overall, I think I have to give it to a, an award that actually covers a whole lot of sure, these, and sure. so I'd give it to the BAFTAs. That's interesting. Um, the BAFTAs, historically, I mean, I know they have a category for, like, best British film and all that, but certainly as far as nominations, I- even in, in, like, 
acting categories and stuff, they definitely steer towards British people. Yes. Uh, and even so what I found in the book was that even in wins, they do steer towards British people. There's okay. a bit of a British bias, not so much that you would throw them out in okay. Oscar prediction, but there is some. Yeah. So do you think that 1917 is going to do well at the BAFTAs this year? Or do you yeah, think it's, okay. it's certainly possible now? Okay. You. This is where the difference between having. I'm a not ton asking and, for myself. Uh, no, no, in my I own understand. Oscar draft, but the. I think this is where the difference between having a small amount of British bias and a large amount actually matters. Sure. If evidence had shown a really large amount that every year a British film was winning, yeah. it would give you a lot more pause. Yeah. With only a small amount, you could see 1917 and Sam Mendes winning and still say that's going to be the one that comes out on top. Okay. Um, so okay, uh, is there any is there anything before we get into your favorite films of all time? All right, um, which I recognize not everybody makes a top hundred every few years like I do. I but I, I bet what I most certainly have a top hundred on my computer. I, I you know <laughs> what you seemed like the type. Yeah, I know. Uh, shopping. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, is there anything else that? Uh, that you feel like people should know about your book that we haven't covered. Uh, and again, like without giving away For too sure. much in the book. Well, one thing about it that I really focused on over the three or so years that I was writing it that uh, I hopefully did my best with was making it a book that you don't need any math background to understand. Right. Uh, there are no formulas. There's no calculus going on in this. There's some math that's going on under the hood, and I do my best to explain enough of it so that those right. who do have a statistics background can follow along, but yeah. that's really not the target audience. The target yeah. audience is film fans, and I'm trying to tell stories about the Oscars yeah. informed by data so that hopefully a wider uh, array of film fans can enjoy it. Well, and also just from a, from a you know, uh, what do you call it, uh, form standpoint, you had to write this thing. Right. And, uh, you know, putting words down and communicating clearly in a way that is memorable uh, to people. Uh, was that a challenge uh, for you? No, I found that the numbers themselves wrote the book. It felt like <laughs> it honestly, the book felt like it wrote itself. Okay. Uh, it, uh, so, so the general structure, every chapter asks and then answers a different question about the Oscars. And I loosely use the gimmick of one chapter per category. So there's a okay. chapter that corresponds to every Oscar category, okay. but only loosely because I know that Best Picture is more interesting than Best Sound Editing to most people. Sure. And so uh, Best Picture sort of sneaks its way into many different chapters. It stands uh, to reason, right. yeah. Uh, but once I had that general gimmick and that led to the questions that I thought would be interesting to answer, yeah. uh, then it just becomes a question of gathering the data. And as I do that, it becomes immediately clear to me, oh, this is the story that would be great to introduce the chapter sure. to get it started because sure. this is fascinating to me. And if it's fascinating to me, I bet it's fascinating to other people. Hmm. Um, okay, so the question is, how, how deep into your top 100 do you have memorized? Oh, that's a great question. I, I bet I could go, certainly enough to, to cover a good chunk of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, starting at the top. Okay. Uh, so so my favorite is uh, perhaps a little surprise. I've never heard anyone else say this is their number one, uh, but is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's my all-time favorite movie. I adore it. Uh, I'm going to be showing it in one of my classes in two weeks. Oh, well, so. uh, well those, are, those are some lucky students coming up. For any who <laughs> yeah. haven't seen it, who got to see it for the first time, that's... Uh, yeah, I, I adore that movie. Um, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Stewart. Uh, we did a... We took a poll of our uh, listeners to determine like the 25, was it 25 or 50? No, I don't remember. Uh, but the best actors and actresses like in okay. film and Jimmy Stewart was number one. 
Oh, um, they're they're so, with me. Well, um, so they won't be surprised by uh, my sharing their bias when I say that It's Wonderful Life is also in my top ten. Okay, uh, sure, so, sure. Uh, clearly, I've got that that hankering. Uh, others, it's an eclectic top ten. The, okay, uh, the Back to the Future trilogy. Okay, you put them all together. I tend to group them, okay. though. It's really part two that for me puts it up there. It's the going back and revisiting what happened in part one yeah. from the perspective of traveling there again that I uh, was just totally captivated by. When I was a kid, uh, I remember reading reviews like in one of those giant movie books because this was before the internet. Yes, I know. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, and I, I remember I really responded to the second one Precisely for the reason that you're talking about, um, and in a lot of the books, like that was the le- that was the worst reviewed of the three because it was like I, convoluted. I'm like, that's the fun I've of it. I've seen like, that, and so my hunch, and part of it could just be I'm wrong. It was a terrible movie, uh, but uh, my I think hun- you're doing all right. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my, my hunch with it is so I, uh, you know wasn't watching them in theaters in 85, 89, when the first two came out. I watched them back to back the first Mm -hmm. time I saw them. And so for me, part one was very fresh in my mind because I'd seen it that day. Uh, And I think that the movie requires that. I think part two requires such an in-depth knowledge of part one that I could easily see giving it a bad review if you hadn't seen the first one in four years. And I think just for me, and maybe this comes down to my personal philosophy of what any time travel movie should be. It's like, Every time travel movie should be, I'm going to say, 75% more convoluted. Yeah. Uh, Because if that's what you're dealing with, then let's really get into it. Let's have some fun. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, And go all over the place. Um, And it's such an odd – my wife was uh, sick recently, and so she was re-watching the Back to the Future trilogy, as she tends to do when she's sick. Uh, And as I came in and uh, I was just kind of standing there and watching part three, and it's like such an odd – I'm not saying bad – such an odd choice that in this sci-fi trilogy, it's like, we're just going to go full Western here at the end. Right. We're just going to land in, land on one uh, uh, genre, and we're just going to explore that, which is so fascinating Yes, to me. Part, part one and part three, I both thought were very good, uh, and it was yeah. part two that for me really elevated it. Okay, so what um, else What else do you like? Uh, I have days? Titanic up there, which again is not going to win me maybe the more critical aspect uh, or critical praise, but... I thought from a technical standpoint, I would just marveled it. I felt like I was yeah. on a boat, you know, and that, yeah. that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that my my friend and I were talking about is that, you know, James Cameron has never won and to my knowledge has never been nominated for screenplay because his screenplays are functional it's and they not do the, the job. It is not the screenplay that gets yeah. it on that for me. Um, it, it's the technical masterpiece yeah. that it is. Whether it be Terminator or Aliens yep. or even Avatar, which is a movie I, I mostly don't like, but from a technical standpoint, like I, I love what he's doing I in 3D agree. and yeah. Yep. Um, so, okay. So, so then a, f- a few more that are more traditional classics okay. that are at the uh, part of the top 10. So Gone with the Wind, okay. uh, Sound of Music, Casablanca, all on there. Okay. Uh, Fiddler on the Roof uh, right. is actually on there for me. Um, Perhaps a more surprising one for an adult, but Beauty and the Beast. Um, and then uh, a couple more more mind-bending ones uh, okay. with Memento and The Sixth Sense. Sure. Uh, maybe a Philly bias with The Sixth Sense. But. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know what? If you had said, like, uh, The Village or The Happening, it'd be like, okay, sure. now you're yeah, getting that's fair. into bias territory. But yeah, uh, yeah, Memento is a film that I show my students to talk about, like, editing and that oh, sort of yeah. thing because it's, it's such a fascinating film. Brilliant. Um, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's interesting. It's always interesting, like who this is going to sound so broad, but like who likes movies? Everybody likes movies. Sure. Um, 
but uh, but the idea that you have a love of numbers, obviously, and a, and a passion for numbers and a passion for sports, and then a love of film and the idea that you could bring all of these together into one book is really, uh, really exciting to me. Um, so where can people uh, purchase Oscar metrics? Uh, Amazon is probably Amazon. the, the easiest. Okay. Yeah, the classic. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I just I didn't want, know no, if you I had appreciate it. Yeah, no, nothing something. too interesting. Okay. There is, I mean, it's available as well through Bear Manor, the publisher, but okay. I imagine that Amazon's the most common. Okay. All right. Well, um, yeah, so check out uh, Oscar Metrics on Amazon and various other places and uh, buy it and uh, and also start your own uh, start your own uh uh, fantasy awards draft like we do, but then you've got the inside track with this uh, with yes. this book, so. or at the very least a top hundred movies list. I always encourage that. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, okay. Well, thank you so much uh, for for being a guest on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, a reminder that the next episode is going to be actually a couple days late because uh, David is uh, at Sundance right now. So look for that very late Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. Uh, And in the meantime, thank you for listening and we'll get you next time.